Welcome to STEEZ, an ongoing exploration of Gen Z's place in the financial industry. Created by Terrasheet and in partnership with Publicis Sapient. At Terrasheet, we cover the important things happening at the intersection of finance and technology. STEEZ is one of our most ambitious projects to date because it's not simply covering what's happening, but rather what's not. There's a huge gap in the industry when it comes to Gen Z. And so we've set out to determine just how big that gap is and what it's going to take to not only include today's youth in financial services, but put them front and center as the new financial consumer. I'm Rebecca Cohen, host and producer of STEEZ. The STEEZ podcast is a five conversation series where I speak with leaders across fintech, traditional banking, and the world outside of the industry to ask them what they're doing and what they've learned thus far in the efforts to capture, delight, and retain the hearts and minds of today's youth. When we first jumped into the exploration of who Gen Z is and what it means to serve them, I really had no idea what we would find, just that it's going to be interesting and we're going to have a lot of questions ahead. So we started with what was available, the current research findings within and around the industry. And at first I thought, you know, just not going to be a whole lot. This generation has been around for what, like five or six years into their 20s they're just entering the workforce. Nonetheless, then I found they already hold on to $360 billion in disposable income and they're just getting started. So first of all, Gen Zers, if you're listening, good for you. Um, and the banking executives, the fintech founders, the leaders in the financial space, you need to understand this. You need to download the STEEZ guide. I mean, that's just my personal recommendation. We've synthesized everything there is to know right now about Gen Z, how they bank and what they expect. And we will be updating that every year as, of course, everything is changing. But, you know, numbers and figures are simply not enough. I wanted to talk to some folks um, who are doing already a really good job or at least trying very successfully to do a good job in serving the youth. One thing is for certain, Gen Z is absolutely, absolutely changing the face of financial services. And it's a really good thing, not just because they're, you know, demanding the seamless digital user experiences that are fun for everybody else. And that's true. Um, But because their tide is is lifting up everybody who's been on the margins too, across all age demographics, which is why we're kicking off the C's podcast with three amazing financial executives. I'm so excited to be speaking with them in banking, lending, and investing, who made it all the way to the top from the margins and are bringing everybody along with them. We have Lule Demise, US CEO of eToro, Christy Kim, CEO and founder of Tomo Credit, and Michael Pugh, CEO and president of Carver Federal Savings Bank. These three fantastic leaders all understand one thing. The youth is the future of financial services and of a better and more equitable society too. So, so Lule, I would love to start with you. Uh, from where you're sitting at the top of a major investment platform and as a longtime financial executive as well, how would you say Gen Z is changing the industry? It's such a super exciting, whether it's Gen, Gen Z or Gen Y, what they've taught us, both those generations. Uh, what's so exciting about what they've done to financial services is they've kind of broken normal. Um, and they have been the two generations that have not only broken normal, but are also showing us what new normal would look like, uh, which I think is a really exciting uh, paradigm. I often tell people like I'm spiritually a Y, if not a Z, um, because I really think that the, the path that they've created of demanding simplicity um, of context in the way that you design a product for them um, and designing something with the intention of understanding what the user is trying to accomplish 
rather than the classic way that financial services and frankly, most services used to do for generations past, which was just put stuff on the shelf, right? Um, And let the user sort of navigate their way through it. And also thinking that you have to put a lot of stuff on the shelf. You know, uh, one of the things that we've learned through behavioral science in, in, in recent years is that, especially as it came into behavior, you know, behavioral finance, um, is that less is actually more. Um, and that's, I think, some of the, the classic beauty of eToro's offering is that this understanding of less is more um, and less and elegant is not necessarily the same thing as being barren or not rich, right? To figure out design through elegance and simplicity um, is something that I think this generation keeps demanding. And I'm so glad that they do. Agreed. And Christy, now turning to you, Tomo Credit, you guys call yourself, and rightly so perhaps, Gen Zers' favorite credit card. So with those credentials, what can you tell us about the Gen Z customer base? How do you think it's different from um, previous demographics? Yeah, so for me, um, Gen Z customers are totally different from the traditional uh, customer base because now... Uh, money uh, is in digital format in a way that crypto and stock uh, became a new savings account for younger people. And the way how they spend money, make money, save, invest is all different from our parent generation and even different from millennials. Like I, as a millennial, am always uh, uh, super interested to see like what are some overlaps and differences among Gen Z and millennial. And one thing in common is that definitely we view money differently and for a fintech company uh, who's serving Gen Z and millennials, it's really important to understand what they want and how they behave. Absolutely. Um, understanding their wants and their needs is key for, for any customer acquisition, right? Um, and one of those needs for, for Gen Zers and millennials as well, and maybe really all Americans, is financial education. We're going to be talking about this a lot, but for now, I just want to bring on you, Michael. Carver Federal Savings Bank has made it its core mission to educate your young customers about the basics of finance and beyond. But educating customers, I think, is not just altruistic. It's also a smart investment into the future. Can you talk to us about why you think financial literacy is, is really core to your bank's business plan? There's about $30 trillion of wealth that will transfer over the next 30 years. And so if you consider that type of impact in our nation, it means that we have to prepare our, our, our folks today to really be thinking about how they're going to manage that wealth as it eventually transfers to them. The other thing is that we know that small businesses and entrepreneurship remain an important pillar for why this nation has been successful and a leader. Entrepreneurship, uh, it continues to grow and boom within, you know, our, our country. And so as we prepare, you know, individuals that are thinking about starting a business or those that are already uh, have launched their business, they frankly have to be able to have uh, the tools and resources that's needed. Within Carver, we saw it, saw it as a very important uh, part of the mission, and over the past uh, few years, helped to educate more than 16,000 people in terms of financial education programs, small business workshops, for really the reasons that I've just mentioned, the wealth transfer and small business entrepreneurship. But I would also add that, um, particularly in communities of color, entrepreneurship has picked up 
because it's often seen as a way to help accelerate uh, financial future, uh, given that the traditional route of corporate America hasn't always been palatable or uh, made accessible to, to many. And so within our communities, we, we believe that the financial education tools, resources are mission critical to not only address a national issue, but frankly, also to help at a very local level. I'd love to drill now into to the disparities in financial education that, that, that I feel like your conversation is bringing up, not, not just between age groups, but across communities. Um, because understanding the backgrounds upon which people interact with with financial with the financial space with financial products and, and the complexities of those backgrounds is is the key to serving them right Michael you spoke about the wealth transfer and, and giving people the tools to manage their incoming wealth so uh, I turn this to you now Lule from the investment side how how do you see the face of wealth changing you know it's so wonderful like how diverse financial, literacy language is nowadays, meaning like different people talking about it. Like, I think the death of the expert that looks one way is a wonderful thing, right? Like, because I think that literacy is accomplished through several ways, right? One is the use of language. And I think that what eToro is doing and others like us are doing is like de-jargonizing stuff so that language is not one of the blockers of that literacy, right? Um, Using very complex language is one mechanism of ensuring that literacy does not happen for regular people, right? And it often, you know, doesn't accomplish much to try to create language that's so complex. So that's one. I think linguistic choice and simplicity of language, I think, does advance financial literacy. The second is also just seeing yourself, right? Like financial literacy was spoken out of one type of persona for most of human history, right? And here are, here we are, you and me, that don't look like that persona, talking financial literacy. And so I think just seeing the tableau of different kinds of people talking literacy, I think also helps and invites people into the, what I call the tent of conversation on financial literacy. Um, and then the third piece of it is how much it penetrates our culture, right? Um, finance for so long has been something that only people who count numbers do, and you only relegated it to one type of persona. And nowadays, and I don't know about you, but like we talk about it at our dinner tables and our cultural tables and our circles. And so I think that the the penetration of the, the language of finance in our everyday life is also really, really valuable. Yes, school has not caught up to where our culture, frankly, has closed the gap more than anything else has. Um, And I think that's an opportunity for sure, but I think it's super important that it's penetrated culture because culture is actually at the heartbeat of most minds and hearts changing. I love, I love, I love the term you use, Lily, the, the tent of conversation on financial literacy. I, I want to believe that that tent is ever growing. I, I think the fact that the four of us here are talking about the changing face of, of finance is, is proof enough. So I'm certainly optimistic into the future. Um, you know, the origin story of, of Carver uh, Federal Savings Bank is actually really interesting. And it's deep, it's deeply tied to the expansion of that tent that you speak of. Michael, can you tell us a little bit more about that? This bank was born out of the need to address an issue. Uh, we were founded in 1948. And the reason we were founded was that uh, a group of civic leaders, small business entrepreneurs, faith-based leaders decided that they needed to get together and do something about the fact that people of color in 1948 could not bank at mainstream financial institutions. A person of color can bank, you know, in this country, any place they want to today, as long as your money's green and and the currency fits the financial institution. 
But when you, you know, if you imagine that paradigm of not being able to do so uh, in the past, so then you were kind of left out of the important conversations about how to better plan for your financial future. And consequently, it then impacts generations because those generations don't have the muscle memory of how to plan effectively. The conversations aren't happening at the table and, and then there's a, a lower starting point. So so let's talk about that starting point. Um, you know, what's special about FinTech, it's it's no news to anybody. And why why there's like the sense that FinTech is winning when it comes to serving Gen Z is because unlike FIs that are, you know, bogged down in the silos and the legacy, FinTechs have the nimbleness that it takes to serve the financial starting point uh, for young people who might, you know, they might have those billions, I said, in disposable income. They might have the incoming wealth transfer that we mentioned, but they don't have those traditional credit scores. They don't have those traditional consumer profiles and the know-hows, right? I think that's why many Gen Z and millennials actually leave a big uh, bank and then try small uh, fintech startups. So when we launched Tomo Credit back in 2019, I didn't expect so many people to come in and sign up like right away because I thought that, well, as a millennial, I still have some hesitation on trying a total new startup and give all my data. But surprisingly, younger people like Gen Z, they were way more open and makes sense because during the pandemic, Younger people, they don't go to banks. So their first interaction with money and banking is through mobile. So for them, Tomo Credit was not just unknown startup, but for them, it was like a mobile first uh, bank that they wanted to try it out. Right. And that's exactly my point, right? I think Tomo Credit's success uh, illustrates that perfectly. But, but building banking products for the youth is not simple. I think so. Because... Gen Z is facing a lot of things that us as millennials, right, and definitely Gen Xers, definitely boomers, they just, we just don't understand them. Um, their financial habits, they are a result of a very dynamic, very complex reality. Uh, you know, being thrown into the pandemic is like a welcome party to the adult world and, and, and more than that, right? Can you talk to us, Christy, about what, what it's like to serve that complexity? That question is like so like, beautifully said. You are absolutely right that Gen Z customers are more complex because before, if you think about Gen X and even millennials, our mentality was that get a good job and save, like save like X percent of your paycheck and then get a mortgage and get, a, you know, it was pretty uh, much set the way how we look at money and then try to uh, uh, build our wealth. But younger generation, Gen Z, I think they want to create money uh, and they don't want to be at nine to five job for a long time. So for them, they kind of try to find different ways to make money and they are trying different things like sh- making TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like sponsored content or gig economy. They have multiple side jobs. So they they are more proactive in creating money in that sense. And I uh, and many of them view themselves as small business owners and like themselves as brands, which I found find fascinating. In that way, uh, there so the the separation between personal finance and small business uh, finance 
separation is getting thinner and thinner because younger people view themselves as like they're mini uh, entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs. So for Tomo, we try to embrace that. We try to embrace that trend instead of uh, asking them to fit into certain category. Right. Right. So same question to you, Lule. How is eToro building uh, banking products, investment products that meet those needs and wants of Gen Z exactly where they are and and with that, so to speak, baggage that, that they come into finance with? So I think part of it is back to my earlier comments about what the, the magic of software and design has done to allow us to create these sort of sandboxes for people to be able to become experts without spending a ton of money. Right. Uh, so eToro, when you come on our platform, one of the brilliant things that they we've done is our platform for investing and our practice platform, which we call virtual investing, is the same thing. So one of the things we encourage you to do is, you know, practice. You know, there's nothing like practice that de-escalates fear and escalates knowledge. Right. And those are the kinds of things you want to make sure you do when you're investing. Right. You want to de-escalate your fear and you want to increase your knowledge. Uh, so our virtual platform is a really important mechanism by which you can track securities or people that you want to track um, that you can invest virtual dollars in. So you can actually feel the movement of up and down, which is really important. It's very important for investors to feel the downs and to feel the ups. They're both really important lessons. And so the virtual environment gives you that contained world. The second is the lower barrier to entry that we have, right? Our minimums, our ability to get fractional shares. You know, nowadays you can actually own a stock that you wouldn't be able to own in the old days because it was like there was no stock split to be had. And the stock, one share of that stock was a bazillion dollars, right? Um, so the, the magic of things like fractional shares and lower barrier to entry, I think, has also been a very important part that eToro has brought. Um, and then the third is really this sort of the, the fidelity to education. eToro, whether it's our social investing platform, which is a form of education, if you will, through the community, uh, or our education assets that we have, or the very regular drumbeat of education that we sell, that we sort of distribute through our social handles and our different kinds of mediums. Um, education is really important. The one thing that I'd say, though, education should not not be fun. <laughs> it has to be fun. Again, back to that point of like, if it does not go into the intersection of culture and fun, we're going to put it away in the same place as we put away all the things that we know we should be doing, but we don't do. Um, and so we try to perfect the art of making it engaging and fun so that you don't put it away and you factor it into your investing process. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and and finally to you, Michael, from from the bank's perspective now, how are you building an experience that delights young customers? Well, so so there's no question, access, convenience, and speed have to play a critical role in terms of how you deliver information and services to the Gen Z community. And so we recognize that we've partnered with a number of uh, fintech uh, providers. And we really make a concerted effort to, to identify women or minority-owned fintech providers. Uh, so, for example, we recently launched a small business uh, loan program that does not rely on the traditional credit score as the primary means. The fintech provider that we launched this program with is a woman-owned uh, entrepreneur. Uh, it's just been a fantastic service. T connecting that to the important question that you raised, Rebecca, is that, the, again, the speed, the access and the convenience, the ability to apply for whatever you need uh, in terms of your banking solution on the go 
is important. And so that's where we've we've ultimately tried to spend our time is thinking about how do we deliver solutions and services in a way that uh, that meets that that speed and convenience. But the other thing that I would frankly say is that we continue to talk about the importance of relationships. Relationships are a form of social capital. And what we know is that while speed and convenience, the ability to do, uh, to address your financial needs, uh, whether it's through your uh, smart capabilities or other devices, um, you still have to be able to have relationships. There has to be someone that you can reach when you really need them to help you make that smart business decision or navigate through a challenging time. And so that social capital can't be replaced with the digital aspect. We believe it's a blend of both and we make a concerted effort to really deliver both of them at a high level of quality. So so to your point, Michael, it's not, it's not just the speed and the ease of like a seamless digital experience, but it's also um, and very importantly, the the value and the real relationships that are behind those wireframes that end up ultimately attracting and retaining customers. I think I think that's a really strong point, and it's a really good point because while Gen Z is asking for the better tech access, they they also deeply crave the value of being heard and being seen by real people on the other side of the line. And and I think that's good news because some firms in the space they may not be where they want to be, they may not be where they need to be digitally yet, but they do have years, maybe even decades of, of understanding how to care and shepherd for customers um, in their lifelong financial journeys. They already have that part down. Now, obviously, this begs the question of like, how do they move forward? And, and you know, when it comes to providing that full package, it comes up again and again in our conversation that Tearsheet, the path forward for the traditional FI is going to be partnering with the fintech. The fintech also has a ton to gain from, from working with that traditional FIs. Do you uh, agree with that, Christy? So I can tell the banks are actually very eager to find out what's happening in the fintech industry. So I get invited to speak with big banks and their innovation team time to time. And I can tell that they do have good intention. They do have good uh, plan to keep up with a new trend. But as a big bank, they cannot be innovators on their own. They are more of a followers, and that's what they should do because they have a lot of existing portfolios that they need to worry about. And for them, security uh, and stability is number one priority. Innovation comes next. So I think uh, the best case scenario, it can be a very um, uh, like win-win situation that fintech gains um, the market share while the overall uh, banks also keep up and then they improve their digital uh, user experience for their customers. Right, absolutely. So the path forward is partnership. Um, but you know, from, 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 from this conversation with all three of you, I think it's gonna be a lot deeper than simply you know, banks and fintechs working hand in hand to, to capture a new demographic. Uh, from our research with Steez uh, and the Steez guy that I mentioned earlier, we found that Gen Z is historically the most diverse demographic, racially, ethnically, sexually, you name it. Um, so it's not just about making fun digital experiences. Um, I think it's also about making sure that the people who are making those experiences, um, the ones who are actually crafting um, the user journeys, they themselves 
represent the diversity in Gen Z and in, in, in our society as well as a whole? So I think that designing those products, you know, and it, it matters, right? The designers of those products are diverse, right? Uh, so that you're bringing a different lens to product design and training that appreciates, again, these different ways that brains consume information. Um, and I think that's what's so great about Gen Z and Gen Y is that they're bringing all of this nuanced tapestry to investing that just was so monolith before. Totally. Absolutely. Guys, what an awesome conversation. Thank you guys so much, Lule, Christy, and Michael, for, for, for making the time to educate and dialogue with us today uh, about building banking that is not just for the youth, but for the people, for the culture. And to our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to episode one of the Seas Podcast. In the next episode, we're going to be diving into the wild, wild west of the creator economy. We've been writing about the Satoshi. It's time we bring people to the forefront, creators themselves, and the fintech serving them about why getting on TikTok is not as scary as it sounds, I promise. So stay tuned.